Good morning. This morning, if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word as we read from Psalm 86, verses 11 through 17, and also from Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 25. And hear the word of the Lord. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths of the grave. The arrogant are attacking me, O God. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, men without regard for you. But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Grant your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. In Paul's letter to the Romans, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, have, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but we hope, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Amen. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, the coronavirus has given to us some strange headlines over the past few months. Here's one of them. As humans stay in lockdown, wild animals reclaim urban spaces. So deer are appearing on the beach in Spain. Coyotes prowl the streets of empty streets of San Francisco. And in the Financial Express, an article read headline was clearly the coronavirus induced self-isolation of humans is reaping great benefits for the animal world. Newminute.com in an article asked this question, so why are all these animals coming out? 
Experts say that reduced human activity has allowed wild animals to feel more free to come out and explore. So you take away people and the animals go wild. You know, but there are those who say that people are the problem. CO2 emissions were down during the lockdown due to less activity by people. And our How Stuff Works the website says that we will need 50% more energy to sustain humanity by 2050. According to them, the world is growing at, at an amazing rate of 60,000 people every eight hours, or two children are born every second somewhere around the world. And some experts believe the world's population will peak in 2070 and then start to decline afterwards. So people, they think, are putting a strain on the planet. But then on the other hand, the world's progress comes at the hands of humans. In 2017, Forbes had this article, and the title of it was, Why the World is Getting Better and Why Hardly Anyone Knows It. <laughs> the article points out how poverty in 1950, it was 75% uh, around the world, extreme poverty. People were living in extreme poverty in 1950, 75%. But today, it's less than 10%. Literacy rates have changed in the last 200 years, where, whereas before it was just a, a tiny elite group that were able to read and write, that were literate, but to now it's eight out of 10 people can read and write. And when it comes to clean energy and, 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 and emissions, India is working on nuclear power, nuclear reactors that, that instead of using uranium, it uses thorium. So all this makes me ask a question. You know, how can people be the Earth's biggest problem and at the same time, its greatest help? You know what we're looking for in that? You know what we're looking for is salvation. We're looking for salvation. We're looking to save ourselves. And so, you know, the question is, will we kill ourselves with too many people needing more and more energy, or will we save ourselves through reducing the population and thus the amount of energy we use? And now, if you watch movies like Snowpiercer, you'll be left feeling hopeless on a train 1,001 cars long, endlessly traveling a frozen earth with deep divisions of class determining your placement and treatment on the train. And if the train stops, everybody on the train freezes to death. Is that bleak? <laughs> Well, the Bible, the Bible and the gospel show us a more sensible, a more, a more reasonable way to regard the, the seeming contradiction before us. Because our scripture reading says, for in this hope, for in this hope, we were saved. And the questions are then, what is this hope? To whom does it belong? What difference does it make? And how do you get it? 
So what is this? What is this hope? In verse 23 and 24, it says, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. So what is this hope? Well, in the text, it's, it's the redemption of our bodies. God in Christ not only redeemed our souls and given us his spirit, but he also redeems our bodies. Hallelujah. And the adoption that sons that's spoken of here and the redemption of our bodies, it's spoken of as not taking place, that it's not taking place yet. But elsewhere, Paul said that we have the spirit of adoption in Romans 8 verse 15. He says, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship or adoption. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. So we are already, we are already sons. We're just waiting for the completion of the process. The process isn't complete until the redemption of the body takes place. And the redemption of the body is when we will be removed from the presence of sin forever. Hallelujah. You know, the physical resurrection of our bodies will, will be the completion of that redemption and the adoption. So it's like the coming home moment of the adoption. The big reveal, if you will. It's, and it's going to be cosmic. The revelation of the sons of God. So right now, so right now then, we're living in the not yet. We are children of God, but what we will be, as John puts it, dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So it's not made known yet, but the reveal will be cosmic. The creation groans with the hope of sharing in the sons of God's revelation, which begs the question, to whom does this hope belong? So in verse 20 and 21 and verse 24, we see this. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? See, these verses tell us that the hope belongs to the creation, in verse 20, to us, in verse 24, but hope isn't generated from us or the creation. Hope is given to us by God, there in verse 20. God is the one who, by his will, subjected creation in hope that it would be liberated along with the sons of God. In Romans 5.5, 5, it tells us the basis of this hope. And hope, Romans 5.5 5 says, hope does not disappoint because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given. See, this hope is ours because of God's love. And his love is also the certainty of its fulfillment. This was why it's important to know to whom this hope belongs. 
It's, it's, it's ours, but most importantly, it's God's. And since it's God's hope given to us by his love, it's certain to take place. Now, you know how hope and certainty works. So you can go to the grocery store and you, you purchase some lottery tickets and you walk out saying, I'm going to win the lottery. See, that is a hope. That is hope. But there's no certainty to it. You say, but I want to win really, really bad. Doesn't matter. Doesn't make it so. See, there's no, there, there is no certainty that you're going to win. In fact, you should read the fine print on the lottery ticket. I don't know if there's any fine print on the lottery ticket because I've never purchased a lottery ticket, but I think there probably is some fine print on there that tells you that what the odds are, that there are hundreds of millions to one. <laughs> that's pretty much hopeless. No, that's, not, that's not a certain hope. But this hope, this hope is certain. It will not disappoint because it is tied to the love of God for you. And for the person who has this hope, the redemption of their bodies and the liberation from sin that accompanies it is as certain as Christ's rising from the dead. This is what Romans 8, 11 says. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus is the same spirit that poured God's love out from which the certainty of our hope comes. So Michael Byrd in his commentary, in his story of God commentary on the book of Romans, he says this, he says, for, the believe, for believers, the redemption of their bodies and the revelation of their sonship will be cosmic. It will be a cosmic event that will spill over and, our, and lead to the renovation of the cosmos. You see, the planet is healed along with the sons of God. And the hope, it's from God, and it belongs to his children. Do you ever ponder the hope in which you were saved? That's to ask the question, what difference does it make? In verses 16 through 18, Paul writes, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. See, Paul's teaching here in the text is telling us that glory, that is, that, there, that there's a glory that is to be revealed and it's greater than the suffering that is lived right now. So how do you reconcile this truth? The bad that, the bad, that, the bad that people do is, is, the, is, is hard for the planet, along with the good that people bring to the planet. How do you reconcile these things? Paul says it is in the hope of the gospel, and it is connected to the tension of the now and the not yet. Now we are suffering with Christ, but the glory is not yet. The creation is groaning. It's waiting for the sons of God. The sons of God are groaning, and they're waiting. We're waiting for the same liberation. 
And so we need an understanding then, we need an understanding then of our present suffering that takes in the future glory. The Bible's asking you to think about this. This is what it says, sharing, so sharing in Christ's suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. Romans 8, 18. I consider, I weigh it, I think about it, I'm reasoning it. That our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And the suffering, it's, in the Greek, it's a broad word, and it, it, it's, it's sickness, it's persecution, it's, it's tragic losses, it's, it's character assassination, it's suffering being misunderstood, it's burning the dessert that you were seeking to serve to your guests. See, it's a, it's a broad word. You, know, you say, do I suffer if I burn the dessert? Well, of course you do, especially if you like sweets. But so what is a, what is what is a good definition of suffering? Elizabeth Elliot has has a has a great definition for suffering. She says suffering is having what you don't want and wanting what you don't have. Having what you don't want and wanting what you don't have. Do you see that in the scripture here? In verse 20, for the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice. Having what you don't want. But Verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently, wanting what you don't have. And so in the, in the tension of the, the now and the not yet, share in what you don't want and in, in order to share in what you will have. Sharing what you don't want in order to share in what you will have. In the words of Elizabeth Elliot again, she says, suffering is not for nothing. See, both you and I and the planet will be gloriously remade and restored to the delight of the cosmos. Now, so knowing, knowing the hope in which we were saved, the redemption of our bodies, knowing to whom this hope belongs, God, Knowing the difference this hope makes, sharing in Christ's suffering to share in his glory, then how do you become the possessor of this hope? How do you get this hope? In Romans 8, 15 and 16, here's what, here's what the scripture says. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So the, in answering this question, the key word here in the text is received. The way you get the, this hope is by faith. You receive the Spirit of Christ. There was great instruction in that catechism uh, answer this morning. You know, how are we saved? And it, it told us exactly how we're saved. That it's by God's grace. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's through faith in him. See, this hope was previously explained as a gift from God. So when the Bible says we're in this hope, we were saved, it's talking about a salvation that you and I could not have wrought. We can't save ourselves. We couldn't have saved ourselves. We couldn't extricate ourselves from our sin. We didn't love God. Romans 5.5 5 says God has to pour his love out into us. 
You aren't God's child until you're led by the Spirit of God. Romans 8, 14, this is what it says, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And so if you ask, how do I receive the Spirit of God? He, you know, you'd be like the psalmist and ask for salvation. Ask for him. Isn't it great that the scripture gives to us words of how to, how to pray, what it is that, that we need to say? Romans, Psalm 86, 16, turn to me and have mercy on me. Grant your strength to your servant and save the son of your maid servant. The spirit of God leads you in those words. Admit your need for, for God's mercy and place your faith in the salvation that he has provided in Christ. In Psalm 86, 17, the psalmist asked, give me a sign of your goodness. I mean, what a great statement. Give me a sign. Yeah, because do we doubt? Do we have doubts? Yes, we have doubts. Are we, how, how can you be certain that this hope will take place? Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and, has, and be put to shame. For you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. How do you know that the Lord will fulfill this hope that of, of his? Well, we know it because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. See, Jesus' suffering on our behalf is the sign of God's goodness. He took on what he didn't want, our sin, in order to have what he wanted, you and I. And here's, here, here in Jesus Christ, here is how humanity is healed. Here is how the planet is healed. See, the reason that people are simultaneously bad for the planet and the best thing for the planet is because of Christ. Fallen man brought the curse upon the planet. You realize the planet hasn't sinned. It didn't sin. The curse, man brought the curse. Adam, the first Adam, lost his glory. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, restored it. Hallelujah. See, only in the cross are these two things reconciled. The world and its inhabitants have no hope outside of Jesus Christ. Because what will you do if you don't place your faith, if you don't take in this love of God in Christ, if you don't trust in that, if you're not taking that in, what will you do with suffering? What, will, what, what language do you have to explain sin? What, what hope will you have in, in saving the planet and, and all of its creatures? How will you destroy death? How do you bring about justice if you don't trust in the, this love of God in Christ? What will you do with your sin? See, these are real questions that you need to answer. And the Bible has the only answer in Jesus Christ. So if you don't trust him, you'll be placing your faith in a fake gospel, peddling an uncertain hope with an impotent savior. Let me close with the words of this hymn. It's a great hymn, God of glory, God of grace. And it expresses how this now, it expresses this now and, and not yet hope. Here, here, listen to the words. God of grace and God of glory, on your people, pour your power. Crown your ancient church's story. Bring its bud to glorious flower. Grant us wisdom, grant us courage, 
for the facing of this hour, for the facing of this hour. Our bodies are being redeemed. All of creation will be liberated along with the sons of God. And the suffering will be eclipsed by the glory revealed in us. This hopeful truth reminds us that the gospel of the grace of God in Christ truly transforms everything. Let's pray. Yes. Uh, Lord Jesus, as we, as we consider your word, we pray that you indeed, Lord, will, will continue to encourage our hearts in these times in which we live, in these hours, and that you, Lord Jesus, might fulfill your promise in us, and Lord, in that our hearts are driven to fulfill what you have called us to for the sake of your kingdom, reaching your kingdom's goal. And may this truth comfort, comfort us, Lord, in wherever we are, in the sorrows, Lord, that we, that we have. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.